Welcome to the We Talk Careers podcast, brought to you by Women in ETFs. This is Christine Delano, and I'm thrilled you've joined me. Every week, we'll meet an amazing executive who will share a story about her career and give us some great insight into her success. So if you are pursuing excellence in your own career or intrigued by the hustle required for a career on Wall Street, this podcast is for you. If you haven't yet, please take a moment to subscribe. You can learn more about Women in ETFs and the exchange-traded fund industry at womeninetfs.com. We have a freebie for this episode, our gift to you. You can grab it at christinedelano.com. Find out more about our show, see some behind the microphone photos, and get a preview of our upcoming guests on Instagram and LinkedIn. All these links are in the show notes. So put aside that massive to-do list and let's get inspired. In this episode, we are talking to Janelle Jackson about creating high-performing teams Janelle is the head of U.S. ETF Capital Markets at Vanguard. Prior to this role, Janelle was a portfolio manager within Vanguard's Asia-Pacific Quantitative Equity Group. Janelle holds a Bachelor of Arts from Ohio University and an MBA from Georgia Institute of Technology. Janelle enjoys traveling with her husband, and they, like many others, adopted a COVID puppy. They named him Wally. Janelle and I met each other recently and found out we both have a minor addiction to handbags. Her runs to the exquisite Chanel, which you let me know was 35% year over year in 2021. My favorite bag happens to be from a textile designer in Maine named Aaron Flett. And I think bags are like teams. They can definitely be enriching to everything that we're doing. So welcome to the show, Janelle. Thank you. Definitely agree. We could have spent the whole 30 minutes talking about handbags, but I'll spare you all. But I will say, you know, you never know where you're going to find a good investment. Got lucky last year and and the Chanel handbag play has worked out well for my portfolio. That is fantastic. I never thought of it as a portfolio play. For me, it's just a closet full of handbags that my husband's like, really another one? I'm like, yes, this one has a very specific purpose. So I love the idea of making an investment. That's fantastic. So today we're talking about high-performing teams. So tell us about learning to build a high-performing team in your career. How did you get to where you are today? Like what started it all? Yeah, I wish I could say I was a whiz at building high-performing teams, but I'll tell you, it has not been the easiest part of my career. And, you know, I've always been interested in leadership. I was that person in school who was always very involved in student government, be it in high school or in college. So taking up my investments career, I would often volunteer to run projects. Um, You know, coming to Vanguard, I was actually responsible for developing a business plan for our global investment management group where I wasn't in a leadership role, but I had resources that were allocated to me as an informal leader. So I felt like, hey, great. I've gone to business school. I know how to run a team. I know how to lead a team. I'm ready for my first leadership role. And, you know, as most of you probably experience, you can be pretty well tenured as an investment specialist before you take on an actual formal leadership role. So coming into the head of the U.S. ETF capital markets team in September of 19, this was my first leadership role after a pretty lengthy career as a specialist. And it's funny because I felt like all of the trainings that I went to and all of the books that I read, you know, I knew the right answers to things. So if you make a comparison to a doctor, I had the right prescriptions. You know, I had my prescription pad and just like any great leader, I knew what the right prescription was. But the hard part 
And what I find really differentiates the good leaders from the not so good leaders is really having the bedside manner that goes with it. Right. So not knowing what the solution is, but it's how do you deliver that message? How do you think about how information resonates with different people? And, you know, everyone doesn't listen and receive information the way that you do. So you often have to change your leadership style accordingly. And learning about different individuals is nothing that you can read in a book. So, you know, I'd say I placed a lot of emphasis on building up my technical acumen and thinking, hey, that's going to be the really challenging part of the role. I love people. I can get the people part. But really, the hard part was building trusting relationships with my team, helping them understand that, hey, I'm really here for your development and your success is my success and this team's success. And I need to know how each individual operates so that I can get the best performance out of them on behalf of our clients. And, you know, I'm not going to say that I'm an expert. I'm not the best leader, just given the short tenure that I've had. But, you know, the things that I've thought of and tried haven't worked out with everyone. But I've really learned that it takes time to get to know people. You have to know people as individuals so you know what drives them, what motivates them in turn so that they can deliver their best results and be their best selves. Also, as a woman in leadership, I've had to balance empathy and sympathy. So I found myself crossing a little bit too much into the sympathy side of things. And it's like, hey, I'm not a therapist. You can't come to me with all of your personal problems. Like I would love to help, but we have resources and experts who can do those things. But what you will get from me is empathy and understanding so that I can make sure that this environment is a place where you can come be yourself and be the best version of yourself that you can be. Oh, it's so good. Thank you for that transparency. I think it's so helpful because it really is that clarity of vision and then helping people recognize their essential place in accomplishing that goal, right? You know, you make me think back because I remember learning the power of teams in graduate school. Mm -hmm. My master's is non-traditional for this industry. I'm an engineer, Mm -hmm. but it was in my first robotics course where I learned the power of consensus and appreciating the strengths of others. And for example, true story, if you've designed a great moon rover that can anticipate and transverse any surface, but you undervalue the need to explain and document those adaptations required, your team will have a very difficult time succeeding. You know, what I started to realize was that every role on the team is so interdependent and important for the success of the team as a whole, right? It became about the people and the technical acumen was just table stakes, right? For getting on the team itself, but to become high performing, you needed the people to be able to work together. Mm -hmm. So how do you assure that you're building the right team for the right need? Yeah, I mean, I I think you were getting to it with your Moon Rover example, which is super interesting. We probably should have started talking about that instead of purses. I had no idea. But, you know, next podcast, we'll throw that in. We can be Um, both. We can love purses and design Moon Rovers, right? I I love it. But I'd say you really have to understand the skill sets. So we talked about the technical acumen, but also the mindset, And we see this a lot in technical roles. So people place a lot of emphasis on being experts and knowing their subject matter. But what really is additive to your role as a team player is, do you have a growth mindset? Are you thinking in an innovative way? Do people like working with you and wanna work with you? Can you persuade and influence others to make a decision that's going to drive the business forward? You know, it's equally as important to be able to articulate a clear vision 
as it is to drive results, be you in a leadership role or as an individual contributor. Oh, that's so good. So let's pause a little bit on that influence piece. Like that's got to be critical, right? So as you're looking to create these great teams, you've got to recognize that certain people that you want to be part of those teams are just good at influencing others to the success of the team, right? So how do you recognize influence? That's right. I mean, I, I look at people who really have that empathy in their character. So they want to help people. They want to understand people just as much as they want to understand problems and solve problems. So I think at the end of the day, you really, you know, there can be people who know everything about everything, but if they're not able to articulate it and communicate it and nobody wants to work with them because maybe they're not nice, you know, <laughs> how much impact can you really add? How much influence can you really have without that growth mindset and without that empathy? Right, right. And then what you had said before, which I think is so important, is that there's this fine line between empathy and sympathy, right? So the empathy at some point needs to translate in a way that gets everyone to be operating at their full potential, but doesn't cross over into this area where you're ill-equipped to sort of help people through their personal problems. So have you found the right prescription for that piece of it? Yeah, you know, I think I was, you know, you, you shift from being like a team player on part of the team to being a leader of a team. And you kind of don't feel like you're part of the group anymore. Like you don't get to be part of the fun when you're always driving the decisions and the vision. But something that I did really feel like resonated with me is that, hey, I'm, I'm here to really drive success on behalf of our clients. And that's my job. My job is to drive the success of my team and make them feel supported and like they have the tools and resources that they need. And I'd say sometimes you have to take the emotion out of it. Everybody's not going to be my friend every day like they were when I was a part of the team, but I have to be able to push people and challenge people so that they stay engaged, so that they stay interested, feeling like they can come in here and they can add value. And I can't just be the nice person all the time. I had to toughen up. And again, it's, you know, I'm not being mean, but I do want to make sure that people feel like they're being pushed to be the best versions of themselves. Oh, that's great. So tell me in your career, have you been able to work with great leaders? Have you been able to see it in action in others around you? Yeah, I've been fortunate to have a lot of strong leaders during my tenure, specifically at Vanguard. And knowing that the culture of this organization is very rotational, um, you never know what you're going to get when you get moved into a new role. But I've been fortunate to have a lot of really strong leaders that I could learn from and now that are supporting me in my leadership journey. So one cool role that I had for a little under three years here was as the chief of staff to the chief investment officer. And when I took on the role, I had no idea what that meant. I didn't know if I was going to get him coffee or like make copies of things or just kind of like, you know, skirt behind him all day. But I thought my greatest takeaways would really be specific to macroeconomics. How do you engage the press, um, go on to be on one of the business news shows and have conversations and run a business. And while I did learn those things, I really learned that you can't do any of those things without top talent. You can't accomplish anything related to your business if you don't have the best people in the right seats. And something that I saw this leader do is, this is what was fascinating to me, is I knew he had a lot of the answers to kind of get us to solving problems quickly. 
But what he would do is give his team the space to drive decision-making. So, you know, if things were going off track, he would maybe lean in and interject to put guardrails in place, but he always allowed his team to engage with each other and make those decisions collectively. And what I saw was that like, hey, this is somebody who's at the top of the organization. They have a reputation for being kind of scary, but in no way, fashion or form was he ever a dictator with his leadership style. And that's not going to be effective when you have really strong performers on your team. So even if you think you know the right answer, you have to sit back at times to provide opportunities for your team to engage and continue their own growth. And oftentimes what I observed is that the team would get to a better decision than maybe the leader thought he would get to, you know, had he presented the decision or driven the discussion on his own. What an interesting distinction. So he was able to drive the decision-making to the team while putting in the guardrails. Mm -hmm. I do think that there's some confidence in leaders to be able to really allow that to happen. They may say, hey, we're going to you know, leave this up to the team, but you can see as it starts to unfold sort of the real guidance and the real sort of control that leaders have in assuring that sort of their vision is the one that goes forward. So the fact that you were not only able to witness, but work within a team where that was the prevailing methodology, that's powerful. That's yes. great. Watching a team that was really candid with each other, watching them engage in debate. And like I mentioned, you know, you might come in thinking that this is the right answer, but as you're talking through things and continuing to ask questions and, you know, why are we doing it this way? What if we did it this way? Or what is the consequence if we don't do it this way? That you really get to a better decision than if someone just comes in and says, this is the question and here is the answer. Right, right. So going on, I mean, that's certainly one of the mistakes. So what are some of the other mistakes that people make when they're either forming or even just joining a team? Yeah, I think there are a lot of highly ambitious people who get into senior level leadership roles. And one of the mistakes that I've seen us make, and I'll throw myself in there as well, is, you know, you might get a book and it's like, hey, observe the things that are going on in your team. Don't make any changes. Don't do anything rash. And it's like, you want to come in there and you want to make changes and you want to, you know, show that you can have impact, but you should really take a step back and be patient with that process. Really get to know the team that you're now a part of. You need to really, like I said earlier, build trust with your team so that you can understand the current state before you go in there with the answers to all of the problems. You know, we're all highly ambitious. We're all high achievers. We want to come in and shake things up and drive change and make improvements. But it's really important to take that step back and understand your team since they've been there. They know what's working and what isn't. And they know what they really need from you rather than what you think you see going in. Right. And there may be some reasons for that. That patience, I think, is so important. And I think it's it's sometimes hard coming from the outside too. You're hired for a reason. You're hired into a leadership role and you're hired with some expectations to make changes and to make some pretty good growth trajectories for that company. And yet you need to have some patience in terms of how you're going to turn things around, how are you going to change what has been the methodology for that area. I think that's excellent advice, excellent advice. So what has surprised you about how teams can thrive and how they can sometimes collapse? That's a good question. I mean, candidly, something that surprised me is seeing really great specialists that can be really 
not so great leaders. So you know, even with the right training and tools, everyone goes through the same training. So the great leaders have the same training and tools as everyone else. And it's like to see people who can't execute, but are really strong specialists has been really surprising to me. You know, I don't know that there's any specific training where you come in and say, hey, putting your team first is always key. And how do you keep that in the back of your mind as you're going through any leadership exercise? I mean, I see a lot of leaders who, you know, may be thinking about themselves and putting themselves before their teams and, you know, refer to it as managing up. So they're trying to impress the very senior folks above them, thinking about their own opportunities. And that's an easy way to lose the trust of your team early on, which can lead to the collapse. Right. You know, can we, can we pause on that for a second? Because I think we probably have quite a few folks that are great specialists listening to this podcast, right? You know, they've invested in their career. They've got great technical skills and they might be thinking right now, I'm a great analyst or trader or salesperson or whatnot, mm-hmm. but I want to be a leader. Mm-hmm. You know, should they invest in cultivating their leadership skills or can they show themselves and their companies the value of being a skilled performer and and how might they sort of sense that in themselves early on to sort of save them the heartache of maybe going down a path that doesn't work? Yeah, I mean, I think people who aren't really thinking about driving the success of others, you know, if you want to add alpha to a portfolio, or if you're very analytical or you love data, you can be a very senior specialist. Not everybody has to be a leader. If you don't have that passion for people, helping people and putting others first, it might not be what you want to do. I mean, it's always good to test things out and see what you enjoy and where your skill set really fits, but not everybody's going to be a great leader. And that's okay if you're a really great specialist in this industry. Oh, yes. Really, really well said. So getting back to what you were saying about what has surprised you about how teams can thrive or collapse, what else have you seen? Yeah, I mean, going back to your question about specialist versus leader and Even if you're not a leader, things that you can do with your team is think about how inclusive your team is. It's not always just about the technical work-related content, but do people feel comfortable being themselves on the team? And I think I've seen a lot of instances where people try to assimilate with their teams, especially women. You know, we might feel pressure trying to be part of a culture that already exists rather than trying to advance a culture. And it can be exhausting trying to be someone else and you can't keep that up. You need to be on a team where you feel comfortable being your authentic self or you should find another team. And I'd say, you know, I feel like there's been some challenges building new relationships in this virtual environment. Um, A lot of how I think about building relationships is, you know, I need to see someone like Christine. I can see you in different meetings and different settings. And it just helps to not just hear someone's voice, but to actually see them. And it's ironic that I say that while my camera's off during this podcast, but maybe we'll do a video next time. So, you know, I'm really looking forward to spending more time with teams in person and meeting people in person, because I feel like for me, that's what helps me build really strong foundational relationships. Absolutely. Yes. And I think relationships in this industry and many industries is about sort of building that network, right? You know, really understanding who's in it with you, um, how you can support them, how they can support you. A lot of what we do in women in ETFs and the reason why we're sort of so passionate about this podcast and other ways of helping sort of the next generation of leaders. So saying that, what advice do you have for this next generation of leaders coming up behind you? 
Wow. I mean, first of all, I'm excited to see what you do in the future, but the best advice that I have as I think about myself and where I was, you know, some 10, 15 years ago, the advice that I would give to myself is to be patient. Just take your time with everything, build up as much of your technical skill as you need to be a confident, very senior specialist or to be a confident leader. I think the whole fake it till you make it concept works for some people, but it does not work for everyone and it doesn't have to. You can read and train and do all the things that you think you need to in order to prepare for leadership, but know that the most you'll ever learn is from the actual leadership experience. One last thing I would say is to have a mentor, you know, have a few of them, but make sure at least one of them looks like you. So she will have experienced everything that's ahead of you. You can learn from her experience or our experiences, be they mistakes or successes. We've been there. We know what it's like, and we're here to help. Excellent. So I love that you talk about the mistakes piece of this too, right? Because if you're going to say that the most we have to learn is from our actual experiences, and then we're going to need to take risks in our careers, there's going to be times where we're going to do it wrong. So any advice for like being your authentic self in real experiences and realizing that it's not always going to go the way that you want it to go? Yeah, I think it's kind of going back to the empathy, sympathy piece for yourself um, and taking the emotion out of it really thinking about the big picture in your life and balancing your work in your life, right? So if there are things going on outside of your life, like during COVID, my husband and I got a puppy. And if things were rough at work and I had a tough day, you know, I would go home and I play with my little fuzzy dog and he loves me and he's my best pal. And that just snaps me right out of having a funky day. So know that, you know, this is just a small part of your life and think about the impact that the work you're doing is having on other people. Be they, you know, saving for their children's education or saving for their retirement or speculative handbag purses, you know, whatever it is that you feel like you're doing, keep your eye on the prize, stay engaged, stay challenged, always learn things to keep yourself interested and then find people around you who have similar interests that you can bounce ideas off of. It's one of the reasons I'm super excited to be a part of the Women in ETFs board is where we sit in the country is not in a major metropolitan area. And one of my goals is to expand my network beyond the folks I know in my current organization. So I look forward to meeting you all who are listening at some point. And if you want to connect, shoot me a note on LinkedIn. I would love to meet more people. Um, and if you ever want to talk about anything, your leadership journey, like I said, experiences, mistakes, and successes, I can share them all with you. And I would love to help in any way that I can. Oh, Janelle, thank you for that. What what an invitation. I hope you get some brave souls that will take you up on it because I do know that the idea of networking and the idea of being able to, to learn from all of us and all of those around us is so important. So thank you for that invitation. Something you might not know, but others have as they've watched in my career transitions, but I have transitioned to becoming a writer and am a novelist actually. And I believe in the power of story to sort of transport you, but also challenge some of your unconscious biases, expand your thoughts on things that you may not be able to experience in real life, right? So one of the last questions I ask on this podcast is what book have you read recently that's inspired you? 
Well, now I feel bad because I'm not going to say that it's a book that you authored. So oh no, no, no. If you did it in advance and read one of your books. No, 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 no. This is about what, you know, what you picked up recently. Oh, funny. Okay. So I guess guilty pleasure. I love fiction books. So I'm sorry. It's not going to be, you know, a, a, a Jim Collins book or something where you leave with a great moral of the story that you could apply to your career. But the last book that I read is technically psychological fiction, but it's something that felt really real to me in my life. So the book is Assembly by Natasha Brown. And she uh, writes a story about the experience of a Black female in investment management, but in the UK. It's a little over 100 pages, so it's a quick read. I definitely recommend it. Um, Like I said, there's not some huge epiphany character experiences that I took away, but I was so comforted to read something that finally felt like my real experience in work. Like I've literally never read anything like this. And it totally filled like a gap that I felt like existed in literature. I hope they can make this into like a series or a movie. But I feel like the key takeaway from me is, you know, I'm not in it alone and other people are having similar experiences. But I hope that my experiences will continue paving the way for more women of color to experience and have opportunities in senior leadership within the investment management industry. Oh, well said. Thank you. And we will put a link to Assembly by Natasha Brown in the show notes. What's so interesting about that book is that not only is it so unique in its positioning of this Black woman on Wall Street, or not in Wall Street, on in the UK in high finance, but it's also done in such an interesting literary style, right? You know, it's yeah. it's just it makes you kind of create some of your own emotion in it. <laughs> it's so interesting. It's also been shortlisted for the Goldsmith Prize, which oh wow, yeah, yeah, amongst some amazing others. And I think this is is she a debut author on this one? Is this what's her first novel? Yeah. Wow, that's that's incredible. Thank you for bringing that to our attention. And thank you so much, Janelle. This was a lot of fun to get to know you and talk about team building. So thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Christine. This was really fun. Oh, I'm so glad. (laughs) And thank you, our listeners, for spending your time with us. I hope this is not just information, but you'll let it be transformational in how you think about the people in your career. And I'm rooting for you. Once again, I'd like to remind you to go to womeninetfs.com to find out more about diversity, opportunity, and events in the exchange-traded fund industry. Please also check out this episode's freebie where I've listed some great resources on team building with a handy checklist you can refer to for creating teams. You'll find it at christinedelano.com. If you haven't subscribed, please make sure you do so. We have a season of incredible guests. Don't miss out. And if there's a topic you'd like to hear us tackle, please let me know. All links are in the show notes. Thank you for listening.